The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters. Here is your top five at five. President Biden landing in Rome ahead of his first G20 meeting as his economic agenda back home remains in limbo. Already in Rome and moments away, a live interview with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Her take on that agenda, inflation, supply chains, the Fed, and much more. Plus, a pair of big earnings misses from Apple and Amazon as supply chain shocks look to wipe off a combined $200 billion in market value at the open. And later, as natural gas looks to add to its already stellar gains for 2021, we speak with one major player in this space as he shares his outlook for the winter and beyond. Plus, how Facebook's meta shakeup is boosting fortunes for one lucky stock. It's Friday, October 29th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Courtney Reagan in today for Brian Sullivan. We are just one minute away from a live interview you cannot afford to miss. Our Sarah Eisen set to speak with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. We'll bring you that in just one second. But first, we got to get you a quick check on the markets on this Friday morning. Take a look at U.S. stock futures. This morning, we have the Dow Jones Industrial Average indicated lower by 51 points. S&P 500 off by 21. But take a look at the Nasdaq down 128 points this morning. And this, of course, comes after we got those earnings reports that disappointed from Apple and Amazon. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later in the show. We should also note that the S&P and the Nasdaq did both close at all-time highs. Now, outside of stocks, crypto popping once again. This time, it's Ether hitting a new record high for the first time since May. Ether is up 55% in October. If you take a look right here, up almost 3% of more than 4300 bucks. And Bitcoin is up about a half a percent to almost 61000 And your two big money movers, Apple and Amazon. Revenue at Apple falling short of expectations while earnings were in line. Now, this is the first time since 2016 that Apple failed to beat on earnings and the first time since 2017 that sales missed. As for Amazon, it was a trio of troubles, really. The company missing on the top and the bottom lines and delivering disappointing guidance for that holiday quarter. This is the first time since the start of the pandemic that Amazon has missed bottom line estimates. More on those results ahead, but you can see both the stocks are under pressure this morning. Apple down more than 3%. Amazon.com down almost 5%. And to Rome now, President Biden landing just hours ago ahead of his first G20 summit as the leader of the free world. The president leaving behind an economic agenda largely unfulfilled with a scaled down social infrastructure package, seeing a chilly reception on Capitol Hill. And it's not just Biden. Another key White House official is also in Rome for the G20. Let's send it over to Sarah Eisen with more. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Courtney. And good morning to the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, who is joining us This morning from Rome at G20, it's great to see you. Wish I could be there on the rooftop. Thanks so much, sir. So, so Secretary Yellen, you're welcome. I just wanted to start, obviously, with the plan that you call transformational, 
the, the framework that President Biden announced yesterday. House leaders scrapped a vote last night. President Biden arrived in Rome, heading toward G20, heading toward COP26. How big of a blow is it that he comes empty-handed? Well, um, I believe that pretty soon, hopefully next week, Congress will pass both the reconciliation or Build Back Better bill and also the infrastructure package. Um, there seems to be strong support for it in both houses of Congress. As I say, it's transformational, and I believe these will become become law. And they contain so many, um, so many programs that will be so important for the American people. Two additional years of early childhood education that will be universal. Remarkable support that will make child care affordable, help women participate in the labor market, um, historic investments in health care for seniors, for the elderly, for those who are disabled, um, support that will make health care affordable. Um, and, of course, an historic investment in climate change, which is really an existential threat. And, and the infrastructure mm -hmm. package, you know, not only has um, investments in roads and bridges, but um, what we need to have a modern, efficient society, broadband ports, um, modern transport that's efficient and um, climate-friendly um, investment in research and development in climate change, the grid. You, you have said that this, this, these plans will add to growth and be stimulative for the economy. Any sense of how much and for how long? Well, I, I think that it really it helps us invest in physical capital, that's public infrastructure that's important to productivity growth. Um, there's investment in people or human capital. There's investment in research and development and the supports that families will uh, receive that will help them participate in the labor market. They'll that will uh, boost labor supply. All of those things boost the economy's potential to grow. Um, to my mind, certainly over the long run, over a decade, several ten tenths of a percentage point. Will it drive up short-term inflation even more? No, I don't think that these investments will drive up inflation at all. Um, first of all, they're fully paid for. They're, and um, not by imposing higher taxes on anyone earning under $400,000, but by asking corporations, high-income individuals, to pay their fair share, and uh, by investing in the Internal Revenue Service so that they can boost compliance, which is fallen to um, low levels. We have a huge amount of uncollected tax revenue, a tax gap that's estimated at $7 trillion over a decade. And the spending that's involved, um, it, it occurs slowly over the course of a decade. So unlike the American Rescue Plan, which was um, attempting to address the 
impact from the pandemic right. um, and involved a lot of spending in a short time. Uh, the, the infrastructure and Build Back Better packages are um, spending that's really small relative to the economy in any year and spread over 10 years. And um, it, as I said, it will boost the economy's potential to grow the economy's supply potential, which tends to push inflation down, not up. And, you know, for many American families experiencing inflation, seeing the prices of uh, gas <clears throat> and other things that they buy rise, yeah. what this package will do is lower some of the most important costs, what they pay for health care, for child care, and it's anti-inflationary in that sense as well. You mentioned the pay-fors, and I did, did want to ask you about that because it, it looks like you didn't get the billionaire's unrealized gains tax, which was somewhat controversial and unprecedented, didn't do the elimination of stepped-up basis, and really avoided the whole tax avoidance by the wealthy in terms of their investments, which is something that I know you were hopeful for and that you promised to do. So is that a disappointment? Well, we, we um, proposed what we thought are good and appropriate tax policies. Um, we do need to be able to muster the votes um, to get these bills through the House uh, and through the Senate. And um, we tried to design a package of revenue raisers that would be acceptable to uh, members of Congress. So we mm -hmm. pared back on some uh, rate increases that weren't acceptable um, to members of the Senate. And I think the, the raisers that we have, though, are appropriate, fair. Um, and while there isn't a mark-to-market billionaire's tax, um, I think it's been agreed that uh, in, in individuals earning um, high incomes, more than 5 or $10 million, um, will pay a, a surtax on their income tax rates. And um, that hits really high-income individuals. Sure. And on the corporate front, I know part of this is, is what you're there to do in Rome and G20 and this, this framework for the, the global ta minimum tax for corporations, something you've worked hard on. You've gotten a ton of agreement, 140 yes. countries, including Ireland, which is a big accomplishment. I'm, I'm just wondering how that tax, when it's implemented, will impact global economic growth. Could it have a dampening effect on foreign direct investment and, and companies expanding overseas because their tax rates are going to go up in a lot of these countries. Well, I don't think it's going to have any meaningful impact on direct investment, um, on investment anywhere around the globe. These are relatively modest uh, increases in taxes. And um, what it will provide is a level playing field globally where mm -hmm. companies and countries can can compete on the basis of um, their innovative ideas, uh, fundamentals, the quality of workforce and the, their business environments. And it will provide a, a, an environment of much greater tax certainty than we've had in a very long time. Um, it will do something to close the loopholes 
um, associated with tax havens that have allowed many multinational corporations, those based in the United States and elsewhere, to um, avoid paying their fair share. And this is an important agreement because um, countries around the globe have decided that in order to um, finance the uh, public infrastructure investments that they need and to invest in their people and not to have all of the burden of raising taxes uh, fall on workers, that this is a way to make sure that all countries in a fair way can collect more from corporations so they pay yeah. their fair share too. So speaking of multinational corporations, Apple last night reported earnings, said it, said it took a $6 billion revenue hit in the quarter because of the supply chain issues and, and projects that that's going to be even worse in this coming quarter. How much do you think these bottlenecks and shortages are holding back our economy? Well, I think they are holding our economy back somewhat. Um, we saw that uh, this quarter with slower growth of GDP. Um, you know, I think GDP growth will pick up, but we do have shortages of semiconductors. The, you know, switch in demand from services to goods and uh, the pandemic itself that led to work from home it really boosted the demand uh, for semiconductors that are embodied in almost all the goods that consumers buy. And um, it will take a while. There is clearly a supply response in train, but it will take a while to boost supply. Although to some extent, supply shortages um, reflect the pandemic in places like Malaysia. So um, it, it will take a while to boost semiconductor supply, but I do expect um, that it will be addressed over the medium term. You just said you expect growth to pick up now toward the end of the year. I'm curious about your forecast for next year, because the Fed is about to start tapering its emergency stimulus and could look ahead toward interest rate hikes next year at the same time where a lot of that front end loaded fiscal stimulus is wearing off and a lot of the reopening momentum is going to wear off. So what does that add up to for next year? Well, it, it's true that um, some of the fiscal stimulus will um, wear, wear off. There'll be less fiscal stimulus um, next year for sure. But um, households have amassed a lot of saving. Um, wealth has increased. Um, they have stashed away some of the income that they earned and didn't spend during the pandemic. And I expect consumer spending and investment spending to remain quite healthy. And, of course, the Federal Reserve is also, you know, while focusing on inflation, wants to achieve full employment. Uh, you know, while GDP has um, now surpassed its pre-pandemic peak, we're still about 5 million jobs below the pre-pandemic level. And while due to retirements, um, labor supply may not go back to its previous level, I think as the pandemic ease, eases mm -hmm. and concerns about health diminish, um, people will go back to work, labor force participation will improve. And, you know, I expect unemployment to fall further and labor force participation to rise, to rise again. Have you stopped using the, the T word, the transitory word, which we don't hear as much? 
from Fed Chair Powell and, and some of the other Fed members. Are you still using it? Well, well I, I think it's still fair to use it in the sense that um, even if it doesn't mean a month or two, it means a little bit longer than that. Um, I, I think it conveys that the pressures that we're seeing are related to a unique shock to the economy. And as the United States recovers and as vaccinations proceed globally and the global economic activity revives, that pricing pressures will ease. Monthly inflation rates have already come down considerably from where they were just four or five months ago. And that process is also all is continuing. Um, you know, year over year, inflation rates remain high and will for some time simply because of what's already happened um, in the in the first months of the year. Uh, but monthly rates, I believe, will come down in in the second half of the year. I think we'll see a return to levels close to two percent. We know you have to get to, to some important meetings. Ms. Madam Treasury Secretary, thank you so much for your time this morning in Rome. Thanks so much, Sarah. Nice to be with you. Always good to have you. That is the Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen uh, right there in the middle of Rome for G20, where she is there and now joined by President Biden. Courtney, I'll send it back to you. Thank you very much, Sarah. What a beautiful shot. And thank you to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen as well. Great interview. When we come back, digging into the twin troubles at Apple and Amazon, find out which may be the better stock play heading into the holiday spending season. Plus, the countdown is on for the 60,000 containers waiting to be unloaded at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach before the fines start racking up. CNBC logistics expert Lorianne LaRocco is here with what's at stake. And later, trouble brewing at Starbucks after a rough quarter. We dig into the results. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Time now for some big money movers. Three big stock stories this morning. First up, U.S. Steel. Shares jumping on the announcement of a $300 million stock buyback program. U.S. Steel also announcing it will be increasing its dividend to $0.05 cents per share. Shares are higher by 8%. Next, Starbucks. Shares sinking after missing revenue estimates for the third quarter. The company blaming a resurgence of COVID in China for weak global sales. Fiscal 2022 outlook also coming in short. Shares down by about 5%. I did my share. I love those pumpkin spice. 
spice lattes. And third, Western Digital shares down after the company provided weak profit guidance for the rest of the year. Western Digital is one of the many companies seeing the impact of supply chain troubles. Those shares down more than 10%. Well, still on deck, Squid Game success. Not just a big win for Netflix, but also for crypto investors. Details on Worldwide Exchange returns. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Halloween is the deadline for ocean carriers waiting at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach to move out. A total of 60,000 containers. If they don't, they'll be slapped with daily $100,000 penalties for any box not unloaded. The measure just one part of the Biden administration's plan to jumpstart the struggling supply chain. CNBC's Lorianne Larocco is here. Lorianne, thanks so much for being here. I mean, what do you think the likelihood, though, is actually of making a dent in the backlog by Sunday because of these fines? Is it really going to do anything? It really isn't. Um, I spoke with uh, Gene Sirocco, who's the uh, head of the Port of Los Angeles, and said the carriers really needed to start Monday, this past Monday, in order to move the product. And the real-time indicator here is looking at the amount of vessels at anchor. You have 82 container ships currently waiting to move into the port. And then in the next three days, you're going to have an additional 20 more container vessels. This really just shows you the lack of productivity. And believe it or not, these 60,000 containers represent a whopping $2.66 billion in trade. And the truck turn times are not really working. It's really a hot mess. And Mm -hmm. the interesting part here is that 30% of all the containers that we see at the port, they have been there for over 13 and a half days. And normally they're moved out by four. Wow. I mean, that is pretty amazing. It just seems that fines aren't going to do anything, of course, because it's not really the problem that they're just being lazy or something, right? I mean, there's just this big backlog. There's not a spot for them. There aren't chassis. There aren't truckers to then take them. So then what are the ports doing to help move out these containers? Well, the ports of Long Beach, they have one terminal that is 24 hours a day, four days a week. Walmart Logistics told me that they are actually utilizing some of those appointments And they're working hand-in-glove with the TSA to have some 200 drivers have their security clearances expedited so they can go and move in those products. Target is already using 50% of the night shifts, and they're already (laughs) adding to that. And then we're talking data sharing. And so UPS, Walmart, and Target, they're actually working with the terminals so they can identify where those containers are and so they can put them in special piles so they can go pick up those containers faster. And the, the daily charge is actually going to be $100 a day uh, for every day that the container is there. Oh, OK. OK. I mean, it's just so interesting to me. I mean, can the carriers pass off this charge that's designated for them? It doesn't really seem like it's the carrier's fault that this is happening. Actually, it is their fault. And okay. here's why. The, the, the ports, I've spoken to Gene Soroka about this. Uh, their name is on the bills of lading. It is their responsibility to move that product, if, and they shepherd it all the way from China or whatever the destination sure. is to uh, their point of destination. And so because of that, they are indeed held responsible. And also, to remember, the Port of Los Angeles and the Port of Long Beach, they are landlord ports. So, they're, so the retailers, the terminals, the carriers, they are their tenants. Mm-hmm. And the landlord wants this product out. And also, unless they have a clause in their contract, these importers will 
uh, be slapped with these charges. So we have to see which retailers have this cause or not. Wow, really, really interesting. I like that analogy of, of the landlords and the tenants. That makes a lot of good sense to me. Lorraine LaRocco, thanks so much for being here and breaking it down for us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, ahead, big trouble for big tech as supply chain shocks, as we are speaking about, hit in the worst way. We're going to dig into Amazon and, and, and Apple. That's up next. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast apps. We'll be right back. Big tech in the red after Amazon and Apple failed to deliver. NASDAQ futures pointing to a sharply lower open. Ahead of President Biden's G20 debut, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen speaking with our own Sarah Eisen on the economy, supply chain, the Fed, and much more. I believe that pretty soon, hopefully next week, Congress will pass both the reconciliation or Build Back Better bill and also the infrastructure package. Plus, the global energy crisis showing no signs of abating. What one major U.S. gas producer is expecting in the winter months ahead for the U.S. and Europe. It's Friday, October 29th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I am Courtney Reagan in this morning for Brian Sullivan. Let's get you a check on your stock futures just about 30 minutes past the hour. We are indicated for a lower open for the major averages. It was the S&P 500 down 22 points. The Dow Jones Industrial is off by 53. But take a look at the NASDAQ. It's actually getting a touch worse from where we were at the top of the hour, down 134 points at this time after those disappointing results from Apple and Amazon after the bell Thursday. In fact, let's check out the action over the past 12 hours here. You can see the sharp decline and then the continued fall after we got those results from those two big tech heavyweights, which are likely to on the broader market, too. Of course, they are members of other indices and overweight in many of those cases as well. And let's get to two of your biggest money movers of the day, shares of Amazon and Apple, both falling in extended trading, as we're talking about here, because those tech giants reported disappointing quarterly results. So the details include Apple's fourth quarter earnings in line with analyst estimates. But the first time that the company failed to beat forecasts since 2016, revenue also coming up shy the first time that that's missed expectations since 2016. Apple CEO Tim Cook citing supply chain disruptions and chips or shortages with iPhones, iPads, and Macs. As for Amazon, third quarter earnings and revenue both fell short of forecasts, and the company's guidance on fourth quarter sales is below street estimates. CEO Andy Jassy says Amazon expects to incur billions of dollars in extra costs due to labor shortages, higher wages, supply chain issues, and rising freight and shipping shipping costs. Let's get more insight now from Joel Kalina. He's head of tech, media, and telecom trading at Wedbush Securities. Joel, thanks so much for joining us. I guess let's start with Apple. The good news is, perhaps, it's not a demand problem with Apple. Many of us are still clamoring after those Apple devices and services. It's really a supply issue. Exactly. And obviously, anytime you see a six, $6 billion hole you know, coming out of any, any print, you know, kind of your eyes are, are, are popping on your head a little bit. 
But and that, that is the reality right now with Apple. We've been here before. Um, and, and end of the day, if there's any company on planet Earth that can kind of get through these kind of supply chain bottlenecks, headwinds, headaches, whatever you want to call them, it is Apple. Uh, margins held up relatively well. Um, and I think that's, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with a company like, you know, with Apple and they're historically just, you know, flawless execution, this is where they can kind of separate themselves from the pack. So when I see Apple, you know, clearly struggling with all these issues, I'm more concerned lower down the chain, you know, Skyworks, Corvo, because you do think that eventually Apple's going to squeeze out their suppliers versus eating all the costs themselves. So I think Apple's fine. Stock's down about 3%, still well below the lows we saw you know, just about three weeks ago. So um, I don't think any, any alarm bells are ringing quite yet for Apple. Um, but again, I'd be, I'd be more nervous about some of the supply chain members. Services obviously is becoming more important for Apple each quarter. That's so much uh, not affected by the supply chain. But of course, there is this litigation that's ongoing what is the potential drawback impact of that as we wait for the ultimate decision? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of anyone's guess at the moment. What what we do know, the longer term, well, I think the reason why sentiment was pretty neutral into the print. You know, mutual funds are underway to Apple. You know, hedge fund community could really almost care less about it at times. Um, right now, the longer term issue for Apple is the kind of the disruption and threat to their, their app store fee and the model structure. Uh, we know the ruling on September 10th versus Epic is going to allow kind of mobile developers to implement their own payment structures to kind of circumvent the, the Apple pay model. Um, and that's going to be you know, something to keep an eye on uh, moving forward. And uh, right now it's anyone's guess. Uh, but, you know, I, th I think uh, both Google and Apple, it, their, their ecosystems are going to be under threat and it's going to be you know, way on margins longer term, which is probably why for a name like Apple, which has re-rated significantly since the start of uh, the pandemic, that's why probably the multiple is probably capped uh, until we get more clarity on that situation. Hence, the stock's only up 12, 14 percent year to date. Whereas names like Microsoft's up 45%, Alphabet's up 65%. I think investors have clearly figured that out. Sure. Let's move on to Amazon here. You know, I found so many things interesting about this quarter, not the least of which that Amazon services surpassed retail sales for the first time. We always talk about what a profit engine AWS is for the company, but obviously yeah. revenue is growing in importance as well. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, I mean, the, the Amazon print, there's a lot going on here. You know, it's obviously you have the supply chain issues and you just mentioned AWS. That is really the only bright spot we had all quarter. Uh, you know, revenues accelerated to 39 percent, um, you know, well above, you know, not just consensus, but by set expectations. Um, so, yeah, it's becoming a bigger piece of the pie. I think with with Amazon, you're right now you're seeing a stock that's, you know, barely up year to date right now. I think it's up about 100 to 200 basis points up year to date. You have the supply chain issues. You have kind of the issues of kind of labor shortages, you know, coming out of the pandemic as well. And they're spending a ton of money. And that's kind of what they came out uh, guns ablazing last night. They're going to spend heavily to get you your packages for the holiday season. And they're also going to spend heavily on content, whether it's for video games or for prime video. So I think, you know, the, 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 the Amazon story is a lot trickier, a lot more hair on it. And, you know, historically, they've gotten a pass for the earnings and margin misses. And uh, looking at the, the price action, not just you know right now, I think in 2021, investors are starting to kind of not give them that pass anymore. 
Yeah, absolutely. Really good points there. And your point about the extra expenses that they're having to put forward to cover uh, what's going on with labor, of course, the increased cost of shipping and all of those things in order to serve the customer, which has always been first and foremost for Amazon. And Andy Jassy just said, look, we're going to spend several billion dollars. This thing to me doesn't seem necessarily like it's a one quarter thing. I mean, how long do you anticipate these extra expenses being in the billions of dollars? Yeah, I mean, it feels like it, it could continue to linger. I mean, obviously, I think the, the messaging so far to earnings season, I think it's been more optimistic, especially from the, the automakers in terms of supply chain challenges. We are getting signs of improvement. Hopefully, hopefully uh, you know, as ports start to open up slowly but surely, COVID restrictions maybe ease a little bit in kind of the manufacturing hubs of Southeast Asia. But it's really anyone's guess. I mean, at least the tone has kind of, it feels like we've troughed in terms of negativity. Um but again, there's a lot going on here with with, with Amazon and, and Jassy. You know, may, you know, he's he's got a rough start. You know, his last uh, his maiden print was back on July seventh, thirtieth uh, rather. Stock fell seven and a half percent. It's down about five percent right now. So I think people are going to start to question a little bit, maybe uh, mm. execution and, and trying to get the ship back, uh, you know, on the right course. But I, I think Apple probably. I mean, sorry, Amazon's probably dead money to some degree. Mm until investors become more, more uh, you know, warm up to the story a little bit in terms of earnings and margins and, and, and what it looks like in the, in the kind of quarters ahead. But as, as your question pertains, I don't think anyone really has a, a clear cut picture of where Amazon, you know, maybe starts to trough and kind of start to bottom out. It's, it seems like a path of least resistance is lower, at least in the near right. Wow, a lot of pressure uh, for Amazon and Apple here as we go into the opening trades. Joel, Joel, Joel Kahuna, thank you very much for being here with us this morning. Thank you for me. Take care. Well, coming up, a worldwide exchange exclusive with one of the country's top natural gas producers. His take on prices and what's in store for the winter ahead. But first, as we had to break, some of your other top stories. Call it a case of mistaken identity and investor impatience. Shares of Canadian materials company Meta seeing a late-day surge yesterday just as Facebook announced its global rebanding to Meta. Meta Materials has nothing to do with Facebook, save the serendipitous company identity. Meta CEO not skipping a beat, telling Mark Zuckerberg and company, quote, welcome to the metaverse. Shares higher again this morning after settling down a bit. Coca-Cola is reportedly closing in on a deal to take a controlling stake in sports drink maker Body Armor in a deal that values the company at $8 billion. The deal could be finalized within weeks. A hit for Netflix is now a hit in the crypto world. The Squid Token, named after Squid Game, is up nearly 2,400% over the past 24 hours and now has a market cap of 175 million bucks. The token was launched as the exclusive coin of the Squid Game project, a crypto Plato Earn platform. We're back after this. The communication services sector is home to huge names like Alphabet, Facebook, and Disney. So how does its valuation stack up against the S&P? Well, Dom Chu is taking a look at this month's Sectornomics. Hi, Dom. All right. Communication services, Courtney, certainly a huge sector to focus on these days, given what's happening with Facebook slash Meta and all the other media type companies out there. Now, the communication services sector has been an underperformer so far this year versus the S&P 500. You can see here up 22 percent. Meanwhile, the communication services sector spider, ticker XLC, is up 19 percent. Now, that's no, not a massive amount of underperformance. Still, though, it brings some attention to the idea that maybe some of these names as underperformers could be trading at a more discount valuation. Now, if you take a look 
at the last five years. Take a look at the valuation on a forward price-to-earnings ratio basis. That is to say what the analysts expect the price to be and expectations-wise now versus in the future. The communication services sector trades at a forward price-to-earnings ratio of about 21 times. You can see that that's just about in line with the S&P 500. Meanwhile, Courtney... Over the last five years, that white line typically trades at a higher level than the orange one. They're trading together right now. It might imply that, Courtney, there could be a bit of a valuation discount relative to the S&P over the last five years at least. So keep an eye on those valuations in communication services. Courtney, I'll send things back over to you. Absolutely, Dom. And you know they're going to be in focus here today, too. Thank you very much. Well, now we're going to move on to energy and our continued focus on natural gas and the global energy crunch. U.S. prices for nat gas popping once again this week after a three-week slide, adding to its already 120% gain percentage points gained since January. A number of stocks riding high as prices surge, including CNX Resources, a major nat gas player with operations in the Marcellus and Utica shale patches across the Northeast. CNX also out with third quarter numbers after the close yesterday, topping estimates and authorizing a $1 billion share buyback. Joining me now to talk about this and energy prices all over the world in a worldwide exchange exclusive CNX Resources President and CEO, Nicholas Delius. Nicholas, thank you very much for being here with us. So you had a really nice quarter here. What would you say drove the quarter? Was it just the price of nat gas? Is it that simple? Hey, Courtney, good morning. Thanks for having us. Um, it's actually going back to sort of the, uh, the basis of our business. We're a manufacturer in the end. And if you're a manufacturer, you want to be the low-cost producer and you want to operate efficiently. If you can do that, and on top of that, hedge forward uh, the pricing that you're going to receive in the future for your product, which we do uh, systematically, then you're in a position to enjoy some pretty healthy margins. And that, that's what we saw last quarter. Very nice. Obviously, energy is in focus around the world. Europe kind of going through an energy crisis of sorts with prices really soaring. What's going on there? And in your opinion, do you see that abating anytime soon? So what's going on there, I would sum up, and this is the world over, as you indicated, it's supply and demand like we've always seen with a new twist. So on one side, with the demand, it's going to be very weather dependent, GDP dependent, as it's always been. And as we all know, weather is very difficult to predict 40 days out, let alone a year out or further. So there's this demand uncertainty. And if you have a very cold winter, that's going to spike demand for the product. If you have a a mild winter, the opposite is true. On the supply side, things are evolving. And what's evolving there is that the industry, the natural gas industry at large, is facing some ability or inability to respond quickly to supply in the short term. Some of that is because of capital markets wanting to see that buzzword discipline applied across the space. Some of it is because of policy where natural gas fields have been shuttered, particularly in Europe. So the supply side, and some of it, frankly, is labor driven, where the ability to get men and women to staff and man the rigs and the completion crews, et cetera, is is going to be somewhat limited in the short term. So there's a supply response that has basically slowed over the past uh, couple of years, some of it because of policy. But this new twist between supply and demand goes back to what I would call, for lack of a better term, the plumbing, the infrastructure to get the widget, the molecule of methane from, say, western Pennsylvania, where we're at here in Pittsburgh, to the southeast United States or to export uh, via liquefied natural gas to places like Poland or Western Europe or India or Japan. That, that plumbing that I'm referencing is the pipeline infrastructure and everything associated with it. Where there's been a lot of deferral, um, deterring and, frankly, trying to strangle investment in that area. So when GDP is growing or when weather is changing and demand is spiking, the ability 
in part because of supply response time, but also in part because of the plumbing infrastructure to deliver that widget, that molecule of methane, from where it's being manufactured efficiently to where it's in demand, is changing. And what you see in areas like Europe or the UK recently, or in what's going on with respect to China or Asia, or potentially even in this country, when that demand grows, the ability to respond with affordable, reliable energy via natural gas, it's going to be different than what it was historically, and different, I believe, in not a good way. And so then that does bring us back to the United States here, and of course, expectations that you have for this winter. What do you think prices are going to look like? What do you think that supply and in demand equation will look like right here in the United States for natural gas? Well, we've seen a tremendous amount of volatility. If I look at the forward price for winter at 10 o'clock in the morning, I can't rest assured by the end of the day, it's going to be roughly in the same arena. It changes so drastically even intraday. And what that reflects is what we just discussed. It's that inherent increased volatility. So our view for winter is, A, it's impossible to predict. So if I can't predict what winter is going to look like because of the inability to predict weather, I can't predict what uh, 22 or 23 is going to look like on a calendar basis either, which is why we hedge. We want to take that uncertainty off the table. And you can do that if you're a low-cost producer because you'll have a great margin. But I would go back to looking at those fundamentals and, and particularly, you know, looking at winter of this year, what's weather going to do? Are we going to have, if we have a milder than normal winter, mm-hmm. I think we're going to be awash in natural gas and price will drop. If we're going to have a colder than normal winter, and I'm talking about the United States here, we're going to see some very interesting times when it comes not just to pricing, but potentially availability mm-hmm. and reliability of things like electricity, which natural gas is basically a driver of. We will see what happens with that weather and the impact then of the price of natural gas. Nicholas Delius, thank you very much for joining us here today, CEO of CNX. Well, Thanks, on deck, Courtney. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen speaking to us live earlier this hour. What investors should take from her comments? That's coming up next. Welcome back. Earlier this hour, we spoke with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen as she gets ready for the G20 summit in Rome. Here's her outlook for growth next year following this week's downbeat GDP print as the Fed prepares to announce its taper. It's true that um, some of the fiscal stimulus will um, wear, wear off. There'll be less fiscal stimulus um, next year for sure. But um, households have amassed a lot of saving. Um, wealth has increased. Um, they have stashed away some of the income that they earned and didn't spend during the pandemic. And I expect consumer spending and investment spending to remain quite healthy. Let's bring in Stephanie Link, chief investment strategist at Hightower and a CNBC contributor. Stephanie, it's awesome to have you here with us early this morning. What do you make of Secretary Yellen's comments and your read on that GDP print that we saw yesterday morning? Good morning. It's great to be here and great to see you. Um, I I think that the consumer is just fine, uh, and that is 70 percent of U.S. GDP. But between jobs being plentiful and wages going higher uh, and two trillion in excess savings, as Janet Yellen referred to, there's pent up demand. And that is a very important part of our economy. And I do think you are going to see the consumer continue to spend. I was on a conference call the other day with Hilton Management, their earnings call, Mm -hmm. and they are sold out on the leisure side. Their prices are going higher uh, than 2019 levels. So the demand is there. And and as I mentioned, the pent up demand is really significant. Um, I I do not get nervous about yesterday's GDP print uh, of only two percent. 
uh, because I do think that there were some issues like the Delta variant um, really spiking throughout the quarter. You have supply chain problems. You've got labor shortages. So I do think the fourth quarter will see better growth. I think next year will be actually the first half of next year pen, uh, because of this pent up demand and also this strong manufacturing. I think you're going to see above trend growth. Mm-hmm. So I do not um, subscribe to the stagflation theorists, which is what I heard all day yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think inflation is real. Uh, and I think we have to watch for that. And we have to find companies that have pricing power. But overall, I, I think the growth will be strong. So I agree with her on the growth side, just not on the inflation side. And, and if you think that the growth is real and it's something that we have to watch, she also said in the interview that she still thinks that the term transitory is appropriate for the situation. Do you think it's still transitory? Well, I think parts are transitory, Courtney. I, I think the commodity side, I think the bottlenecks will get fixed um, and, and we will get the goods from the ports, from the ships at the ports. Um, but I do not think that wage growth um, and rental costs are, are transitory. So I do think we're going to have an elevation of inflation, not runaway inflation, but higher than what you and I are used to and what everybody else is used to over the last 20 years. Fair enough. We got some uh, big names, of course, reporting after the bell on Thursday with Apple and Amazon. Both of those names pulling back here in the early going, likely to start the trading day lower. Do you think there's opportunity in this pullback or with a name like Amazon, which really hasn't done much in quite some time? You still need to wait and see. Well, I think Amazon is more interesting than Apple, to be honest with you. But the problem is, is that you have 100 percent of the sell side with buys on the mm. stock. Right. So it's loved. Right. And, and so and, and they are going through this spending cycle. But eventually they'll get through the spending cycle and the investments, which you want a growth company to do, will lead to better growth. Um, the e-commerce slowdown, it's a little disappointing, but the but the AWS numbers were huge. 39% with margins at 30%, 200 basis points better than expected. That's really why you own Amazon, quite frankly. So if that one were to pull back more uh, from here, it's certainly interesting. The setup into 2022 is more interesting to me than Apple, which is going to have supply chain issues I think throughout 2022. I mean, look, uh, Chuck Robbins was on uh, CNBC a couple of, uh, I think it was the earlier this week, and he basically said he doesn't think that the supply chain gets fixed until second half of 2022. So we've got time on Apple for now, but Amazon is the one I would be looking at. Yeah, and Amazon is so interesting. I made the point in an earlier interview that the revenue from AWS was higher than the the revenue that we saw from the e-commerce side for the very first time. And to your point, usually that's sort of been the profit engine, but not necessarily where we saw the bulk of the revenue. Do you think that's a shift that's permanent or just a slowdown because of this quarter with the pullback in e-commerce growth? They're so big in cloud um, that I would have been happy with 30% growth. I would have been thrilled with 30% growth. Um, but 39% is such a huge, huge number. There's only 15% of the companies of workloads in the cloud. Right. So that just gives you, that just tells you that there's so much runway for all three companies, for Microsoft, uh, Alphabet, and for Amazon. So I think it's going to stay strong for a long time. I think the comps eventually get easier on e-commerce. Right. So let's get through that piece of it. But as I say, first quarter of 2022, I think I'm going to take a look at it. All right. Sounds good. Stephanie Link, thank you for joining us here this morning. Have a great day ahead. And that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. We've got futures lower across the board. NASDAQ particularly under pressure. Continue to watch that as we move towards that opening bell. Squawk Box is next.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.